You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. What are we talking about? We are talking about tiny homes. How come we're talking about tiny homes? Well, they are real estate, right? But tiny homes are an option for a lot of people who can downsize. They don't have all the kids. They don't have all the stuff. And they're looking at something smaller and simpler, simplify their lifestyle. But guess what? Tiny homes you always think of as the really affordable option. They are becoming less affordable as this whole housing appreciation phenomenon keeps going. That's what we're going to talk about today. Tiny houses are getting more expensive and owners are struggling to afford them. But one expert says the price hikes are great for the movement. I find that difficult to believe. We'll have to see what that looks like. We're going to get into it. We're, we're going to go hard. We're going to go hard on tiny homes, all right? No, we're really not. But we're going to talk about them. All right. If you're new here, my name is Sean Reynolds. I own a couple of real estate companies, and I talk about things that reasonable people want to hear, have reported on. Tiny homes. I am not, I don't really know much about tiny homes. They really only come into existence probably the last 20 years. And a lot of times because of their size, they are not financeable, meaning you have to pay cash for them. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac typically have a square footage minimum. I think, is it 500 square feet? You lenders out there, let me know. Let me know in the comments. What's the minimum size square foot home for a single family home that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in the secondary market will uh, underwrite? Um, I don't know. I have only appraised, I've appraised some small homes, but not a tiny home. I'd like to, I'd like to see them. I think they're kind of cool, different concept, but, um, cause I'd like to get rid of all my stuff. You know what I mean? I'm 52. I got a bunch of stuff I no longer need. I really just live out of a couple of backpacks and a gym bag. That's where most of my life exists. I don't need all this other ridiculous stuff. Tiny home. Hey, I'd like to buy the, oh, I can't fit it anywhere. Problem solved. Hey, should we get one? Of, oh, we don't have space for it. Done. Right. You need a bigger house? Yeah. You need more stuff? No. All right. Let's get into it. Thanks to the pandemic, tiny house prices are up and some would-be owners can't afford them. Zach Giffen of Tiny House Nation, that's a show, I think it's a show, said the the price hikes will help legalize tiny houses. Other outcomes could be fewer customized homes and an uptick in do-it-yourself homes. Tell you what, unless I'm a contractor, I am not living in a home that I built. And I am not a contractor. I am, uh, I've I've done, um, I've remodeled a number of homes. And when I say remodel, I mean, did a lot of painting, a lot of trim molding, uh, that kind of stuff, but no real major projects. I kind of stick to my gig here and figure I'll work hard on that so I can afford to pay somebody who's much better at flooring and roofing and siding and all that other good stuff, right? In 2016, Carly Jackson was living in Louisiana when a natural disaster flooded half the state. With her apartment destroyed, she was forced to move into a hotel for a month. That does not like sound, sound like fun. I do not. I, I can do about a, a week in a hotel, maybe 10 days, and then I start to go, oh, yeah, I don't want to deal with my neighbors anymore. I don't want to deal with anybody anymore. At that moment, Jackson decided to fast track her dream of living in a tiny house, something she had been fantasizing about for a decade. She moved to Austin, a more tiny house friendly city in 2019. And while there, she saved as much money as she could for her future home. But in 2021, Jackson learned her tiny house dreams may not become a reality. 
Based on past tiny house costs she'd found in her research, Jackson saved $50,000. It's a fair amount of money to save, right? I mean, just if you're working and saving, good job. Uh, $50,000 and thought she had enough to finally start building her home. She worked with a consultant to design a basic 26-foot tiny house with a downstairs bedroom, lots of storage, and a dishwasher for herself, her boyfriend, and their dog. When I read this the first time, I'm like, does her dog need a dishwasher? I think it's just it's some poor placement of grammar here, but um, we're going to overlook that. So a dishwasher for herself, her boyfriend, and their dog. Their dog puts dishes away, apparently, needs a dishwasher. When they began pricing builders, Jackson was surprised to learn their tiny house would actually cost seventy dollars to $80,000. That's a big uptick. Jackson was about $30,000 short. Very disappointing. But I mean, you hear that so often with people looking to build homes. Um, you know, they, they have it in their head, it's going to cost something. And then when they go to reality, it's twice as much. And then they have that freak out moment. And then they realize, yeah, we're probably not going to build that or darn it, we're going to build this thing anyway, because it's our forever house. Those are the famous last words of so many homeowners. This is our forever home. And what I have to say about that after 30 something years of appraising is no home should ever be considered a forever home. If that's one thing you ever take away from this podcast, there's no such thing as a forever home because people die unexpectedly. They get transferred unexpectedly. Stuff happens unexpectedly. Things happen to kids, all kinds of life circumstances. You got to move. Who knows what the reason is? Don't have your home be a forever home. And I know that sounds harsh and hardcore. It's like Sean's saying, hey, we should never live in a house forever. No, what I am saying is that don't expect to live in a home forever. Because if you do that, your expectations are such that you might make a decision that doesn't necessarily make sense. And then you have to have some jackass appraiser come along and tell you your forever plan doesn't really make sense because of this, this, and this. Those are difficult conversations. And I've had so many of them over the years. The worst is I, I think I had three housewives cry. Like I'm standing in the kitchen. I'm asking them a few questions because there's some things, you know, as an appraiser, you can't tell by, by being in a home and looking at it. Like, is there a homeowners association for the neighborhood? Sometimes you typically pick up on that. You just kind of know, all right, there's a homeowner association or, Hey, the roof looks new. The house is 30 years old. Has that been replaced in recent years? Something like that. And I specifically remember, I remember two of the housewives and I'm just saying using housewives because they were at home, they were doing their mom thing. And these were divorce cases. All three were divorce cases and they were getting the homes. So I was appraising the home for the husband who was going to be cashing them out. And of course it was the husband's fault and the marriage tanked. You know, it's always somebody else's fault, especially when emotions are running high and all that stuff. It's, it's a really awkward position to be in, uh, as an appraiser, as anybody else going into the home. But you're literally like standing there in the kitchen. You've got a notepad. You've got whatever. You're taking notes. And then the gal just starts bursting out in tears. And half the time, maybe more, they, they will say, this was supposed to be our forever home. We thought we were going to live here together forever. And then my husband cheated on me with a woman half my age. 
you know that drill. I mean, we've all heard that. But then to have the reality of it when you're standing there, it's kind of like, oh, this this is not good. And as an appraiser, you got to be disinterested. You can't be holding anybody's hand. You just got to kind of stand there and go, that, is, that has got to be so difficult to be working through. Um, and you can't really say you're sorry because you're not really sorry. And on a professional level, you start to cross that line of, you know, trying to give somebody more support than is probably warranted from an appraiser who's going to be in their house for what, 45 minutes, maybe tops, something like that. Super awkward, super awkward. And, um, and then there's the, the situation where you roll up in the front porch and somebody's selling their home. And uh, they're like, yeah, husband lost his job and things aren't going great. And um, we got to sell. This was going to be our forever home. When we built it, we loaded it up with upgrades, thinking we would live here forever. It's two years later, husband lost his home or a health issue comes up. Somebody gets sick, something along those lines. It's tough. It's tough hearing those stories. So my bottom line, after looking at so many of these situations and looking at the numbers and seeing how much, you know, what people do based on their forever home concept, which doesn't make any sense. I'm probably on the other end where have, have a five year plan, have a five year plan. And if it goes shorter than that, okay, then you got something that's really rocked your world. But give it five years. Figure out your life based on five years in a home. That's my recommendation. And then after that, do a revision. See where you're at. See if you think you want to live there. Because um, so many people, they up and move. They just – so all those – whatever it is you're spending on money on that house, it may not be warranted. You may not get it back when you go to sell or whatever. Or you have to give that portion of the equity to your soon-to-be ex-wife. That's that's life reality. Um, and from the standpoint of an appraiser, put as little money into your home as is needed to get the end result. Don't overspend because I've had that conversation so many times. Hey, I spent $200,000 on this renovation and you're only giving us 50 grand worth of value for it. Well, because your renovation included an indoor swimming pool and other features that in the Pacific Northwest, guess what? There's no extra value there. Those are difficult conversations as well. Having to have that talk. So, hey, Mr. Appraiser, you are a, you don't know what you're doing because we spent this amount of money and you only gave us credit for this amount of value. Well, the comparable sales and the market says otherwise. And then you get into it and you're never going to win that conversation as an appraiser. But that's where I'm kind of coming from as far as expectations about stuff. So five-year plan, no forever home. That's what I would say. So uh, Miss Jackson was about $30,000 short on her forever home, dream home. It was shocking, Jackson said. You plan something and you have a dream in your head and it all falls apart and it's extremely frustrating. Okay, yes, but it's better to have it fall apart on the front end before you get into the project. Because I've had those appraisal sit downs as well. Hey, we spent $3 million on this home and our realtor is telling us that it's worth $2 million. What's up with that? How can that be? Well, you overbuilt for your community. Mmm, by a million. Mmm, tough talks. Those are tough talks. 
especially when you're younger, you're a younger appraiser and you're dealing with some guy who's in his 40s who thinks he knows better. And you're sitting there and you're maybe in your early 20s, maybe mid 20s. And you just got to stick to your guns and go with the data because you got nothing else. You've never bought a home. You've never refinanced a home. You don't know what that experience is like, but you know your data and that's what appraisers use for their valuation, right? So yeah, extremely frustrating, but um, work out what you are doing on the front end. Ask as many professionals as you can on the front end before you commence a project and go sideways. That, that would be my professional advice. Jackson isn't alone. Potential tiny house owners across the country are frustrated with the growing cost of tiny houses and are being forced to give up their dreams of joining the movement. It's a movement, isn't it? It's, it's pretty interesting. It's like, this is, this is really a movement. Um, it's, it's something going on. It's culturally like, Hey, tiny homes. Um, I'm not really at that point where I'm serious about a tiny home, but I'm curious, right? I haven't checked out these, um, tiny homes show just because I've spent so many years in real estate that the last thing I want to do is, um, like when my friends say, Hey, you want to come over and check out our house? And I'm kind of thinking in my head, uh, no. Absolutely not. And the reason is I don't want to see any more homes. I've seen lots of homes. I've seen every imaginable home there is from tiny little crappy homes to multi, multi, multi-million dollar homes. And what? Guess what? They're all homes. They all have roofs, siding, windows, bathrooms, kitchen, you know, all that good stuff. And then somebody ushers you into their home and says, this is the kitchen. Here is our kitchen. I'm like, oh, geez, I did not know that kitchens had refrigerators, appliances, and counters. You know, everybody is so proud of their home and they have every right to be. But me and my jaded age uh, and experience have been going through that many homes. I just don't care, to be honest. I, if I never saw the interior of another home again, I'd be okay with that. I've had my fill. You know what I mean? But there's there's so much energy and there's so much emotion in the whole home sale process that you have to let people kind of run with what they're thinking, what they're doing. And like people have their dreams that they're having to give up because the tiny home movement is taking off and prices are going through the roof. So the prices of tiny homes today are vastly different than they were a decade ago. When the modern tiny house movement started in the early 2000s, it was advertised as an affordable way to own a home. Shows like Tiny House Nation, which premiered in 2014, perpetuated the idea that people could buy a tiny house for cheap. But as the movement took off, those cheaper homes became less of a reality. In the very beginning, I don't think anyone knew exactly how much the homes we were building on Tiny House Nation cost, Zach Giffen, the host of the series, told Insider. The homeowners would have a set budget and we would deliver a home regardless. The product integrations and the labor for myself and my crew were never even calculated. That's interesting. So it was only materials, only materials, no labor. Labor is a big component, isn't it? Ah, so expensive now. I don't know if you guys have used, um, you know, the day labor from Home Depot, but man, that used to be 10 bucks. Now those guys are up to like 25 bucks here in Bellevue. I don't know if that, if they're just like taking us for a ride, but I hear, you know, around a lot of different areas that, yeah, the day labor, the price of day labor has gone through the roof as well as everything else costs, you name it. 
The median cost of a tiny house today is around $60,000, and the price keeps climbing as the demand for these smaller structures increases and builders push the boundaries of what a tiny house can look like, meaning they're putting more stuff in it and it's going to be more expensive. David Latimer of New Frontier Design, for example, created the Escher. The Escher, a model. We've got a specific model. That's a family-friendly tiny house that starts at $180,000. Includes a chef's kitchen, two bedrooms, a modern bathroom, and a walk-in closet. We're kind of getting away from what a tiny home is supposed to be then, aren't we? Hey, you you got a closet in your house? Not only do I have a closet in my home, I've got a walk-in closet. It is tiny, but you can walk in. Although the Escher house is far from where the movement started, some say this is where the movement is heading. What, tiny homes are just going to become bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're going to be like, here's our tiny regular home. We don't really know what, you know, what category this falls into, but it's not really small. It's not really tiny. It's not really big. I don't know. That's... The the whole tiny home thing to me is make your house so tiny you can't have a lot of stuff. That's the way I see it. That's the way I look at it. But then again, I'm jaded. Who knows? I probably just have no idea what I'm talking about. Most of the time I don't. However, the price for tiny houses without high-end amenities like Jackson's proposed design is also increasing across the board. Lindsay Wood, who runs a tiny house consulting business, I did not even know that was a thing, but it makes absolute sense, right? If there's a market for it, you're going to have some consultants. Consulting business and who worked with Jackson in designing her house said she has seen prices increase dramatically even in the past year. Wood said one to two years ago, you only needed 50 grand to purchase a common eight by 24 foot tiny house. In 2021, you need 65 to $75,000. So that's directly in line with what this this gal is experiencing, correct? Yeah. How much of that is just materials alone? Because uh, I did a podcast. What? You guys probably get tired of me saying I did a podcast, right? But that's kind of how it comes up. We're talking about building materials and um, the average home lumber package in Seattle has increased by 24 grand, something pretty substantial. It was one of the stats I read in, uh, you know, why homes are more expensive now. And it's not because, um, you know, we just want to make them more expensive and have, you know, more people homeless on the streets. That's not the end goal. It's because uh, lumber mills have been shutting down. There's a moratorium on bringing lumber in from Canada, number of different reasons. And uh, the lumber companies have, they shut down during the early stages of the Rona and uh, or had limited capacity. And they're having a tough time cranking up and keeping up with the demand because the demand has gone through the roof for housing and everything, you know, building related wise. Here's our next section. Prices of materials have also gone up significantly thanks to the pandemic. When the coronavirus pandemic began, it sparked an increased interest in tiny houses as new demographics looked for safe ways to travel and to take their work on the road. RVs have gone up. Boats that have capability of living on through the roof. I mean, last summer, difficult to buy decent-sized boat, you know, small yacht-ish. Very hard to do. They're basically like the housing market sold out. Are we going on vacation this year? No, we're not traveling. 
CDC says that's no good. The WHO says that's no good. I mean, everybody's telling us that that's no good, even though we want to travel and we think that we probably should and could and it'd be okay. Our neighbors are going to have us for lunch if if we go travel. They're just going to, oh, what are you doing? I've traveled during the pandemic. Pretty open about that. I think it's okay. The airlines are going. I'm going, right? As the demand went up, Builders and material suppliers struggled to meet it because they were already trying to contend with new COVID safety measures to keep their employees safe. One of the things at the beginning of the uh, coronavirus, when uh, the the safety or the uh, you know COVID restrictions happened, um, you know for commercial construction, those guys got to work on some big heavy stuff and they got to build stuff and they need more than one guy to haul all this crap around because otherwise there's massive OSHA violations, right? And so they had to choose OSHA or the coronavirus. Guess what they did? They kept building the homes, right? It's more difficult for every business, Nick Mosley, whose company California Tiny House built 30 homes last year. Lumber mills aren't able to staff as much as they normally would, and it may be slowing production. Now nah, it is slowing production. CNBC found a 112% increase in lumber prices during the pandemic as remodeling became a popular quarantine activity in 2020. Everybody is just sitting around going, man, my deck is crappy. Man, I don't want to have one more family gathering where people step on that board and I'm like cringing going, ah, is she going to go through? That's a big gal. Is she going to crash through my deck because I got rotten wood? No, people are running to Home Depot, they're running to Lowe's, they're running to Lumber Yard, and they're fixing their stuff up because they're at home staring at the projects they should have been doing for years. Similarly, Mosley said he used to buy beams for $250 each and now they're $750 each. I told the story about I got my roof done sometime in the last year, can't really remember when, um, because details like that seem to no longer stick in my brain. But roof done and between the time that I signed my contract with the roofing company paid whatever I did down payment half, I don't even know. Um, We did that, you know, song and dance with the the roofing company. Um, I had to have a bunch of sheathing replaced because they were rotten, whatever. And um, when they did that, the owner of the company met me out for a separate uh, reason. And he basically said, yeah, <laughs> here's the thing. Our sheathing costs have gone. They went from like 75 bucks to 90 bucks a sheet. And I was like, wow. And he, so he said, I, but, I, you know, we need more sheets on your house, but I'm, we're still going to honor the contract. Good guy. Um, Redmond Roofing in Redmond, Washington. Imagine that, Microsoft uh, country. It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you're buying 500 to 1,000 two-by-fours, a $5 increase is drastic, Mosley said. And then that carries in through each house we build. Mosley added that at the end of 2020, his supply uh, supplier of trailers, the foundation for every tiny house on wheels, announced their costs will increase 5% in 2021 because their supplier hit them with a steel price increase. It's a chain reaction that ultimately affects the tiny house owner. Materials costs nationwide are increasing, and that's driving up costs in a lot of tiny home builders, Mosley said, adding, the only way not to lose all the money we are paying out to meet material increases is to increase our prices too. Supply chain, got to pass those costs up to the consumer, right? So everybody does along the way. And um, and that's why construction and all this stuff is 
price costs have gone through the roof, right? So Griffin says this price increase is actually great for the future of the movement. I feel a spin coming here, right? I feel a spin like a realtor spin. In most parts of the US, tiny houses are still considered RVs and people cannot live in them full time. Is that true? You can live in an RV full time, right? Right area. Tiny Home Industry Association is working to pass zoning ordinances and building codes across the country to allow for the legalization of tiny houses. It's a difficult process, but interestingly, Griffin said, or Giffen, sorry, it's Giffen, not Griffin. Giffen said that he thinks the rising costs of tiny, tiny houses could help push this initiative forward. Here's the bad news. Your tiny cost home has, the cost of your tiny home, yeah, it's doubled. The good news, that doubling, it's going to push legalization and probably end up with some better zoning for people down the road. Not you, because you're stuck paying double right now. But down the road, there's going to be better opportunity for people to own a tiny home. That's the rub, right? I mean, that's um, even though there's not a uniform building code of tiny homes, the cities are making up their own requirements. And essentially, they're requiring quality materials. It's because there's so little of them that you need them to prop up the home. They're requiring fire egress. That's good because when a fire comes, it's good to be able to get out. They're requiring handrails. That's good because when you stumble up the stairs to Air Force One, you need a handrail, right? In order to be allowed into communities, we need to be building nice, tiny homes. Not only could the expensive price tags help in the legalization process, but Giffen said they could also lead to better financing options for potential tiny house owners. In the eyes of most large banks right now, tiny houses are not considered homes, so potential owners cannot get a mortgage. I don't know much about tiny homes, and I think I've made that painfully clear. But if they're on a trailer and not on a, a permanent foundation, they're gonna they're just like mobile homes, manufactured homes. Um, until they go through that title elimination process, they are not real estate, they are personal property. If tiny houses are built with better materials and with more quality control, Giffen said, he thinks banks will start to recognize them as actual homes. Um, okay, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here. Let's keep going. Let's just see. If you could get a mortgage on a tiny home and a deal with those same kinds of interest rates, you wouldn't be saying, oh my God, it's a hundred grand. You'd be like, wow, whoa. I got this thing for 500 a month, Giffen said. That is one way of looking at it. Uh, that's a pretty decent spin. I like that spin. Not sure I agree. However, uh, it's you're a little bit warranted there. But the, the overall logic is until these things are permanent on a permanent foundation, which most tiny homes are not, they're not real estate. They will not be financed accordingly. Still, tiny house, house owners are struggling to meet this new price tag. Wood said that a lot of her clients are like Jackson, who is surprised to see how expensive a tiny house can be these days. Sadly, most of my clients are way off on the reality of the budget, Wood said, way off. I had someone call me and say they had 25 grand. For that, you're talking a very tiny space with rental appliances. So you rent the appliances? Hope you don't default on that contract because then the kitchen or the uh, fridge is gone. Ah, oh, I didn't make the payment on the stove today. They took it back. What is seeing, even seeing issues with people who have large budgets. One of her clients has a $120,000 budget and Wood said that that would have been no problem a year ago. Now that dream tiny house is costing 150 grand more. 
Those are some brutal numbers. But they're also similar numbers I'm hearing in construction costs, just things have gone way, way up. And so if you are thinking five, 10 years ago, housing cost prices, guess what? Rude awakening, brutal. Things have gone way through the roof. Cheryl Lynn Luke of Oklahoma said she had to change her plans completely when she realized she couldn't afford a tiny house after retiring in 2020. Before you retire, get all that stuff squared away because your budget after you retire isn't going to change much, is it? Might go down, probably not going to go up. Get that stuff, including your housing, 100% squared away. Instead, she decided to buy a motor home for a fraction of the price, uh, putting off her dream of living in a tiny house. All right. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Motorhomes don't last forever, and they're heavily depreciable, which tiny houses are too. Because the industry took off so quickly, I feel like it became this fad, and now the prices have just skyrocketed. And it's making it impossible for people who are wanting to just simply live in a tiny house, Jackson said. It's very frustrating when the prices are making it hard for people who are just wanting to live their dream. Welcome to reality. That sucks. But hey, things go up, things go down. Never did they don't go down. Stock market does. Your retirement account does. Everything else just seems to, you know, go up. As prices continue to rise and tiny house owners struggle to pay, new trends might emerge. I love the word might in a, in a media statement. This could happen. This might happen allegedly, right? But since Jackson cannot afford the house of her dreams, she has the option to build the tiny home on her own. Terrible idea. Just just terrible. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but I'm going to talk about that. Just like most people were doing at the start of the movement, Wood said she can see more people choosing this path in the future because then they can control the price. Not really. It's just that they're going to do their own labor, which unless you are a licensed contractor, and even if you are a licensed contractor, this is still a terrible idea because when you build your own home, you're not realistic about what the market may or may not accept. If you have a contractor who's building homes all over, he's going to tell you, he's going to give you the brutal truth. He's going to give you the hard love of that's a terrible idea. We're not doing that. Whereas if you're building your own home, and that's what I see all the time or saw all the time when I was actively appraising is, hey, how come you got that stove right in the middle of the room? And, and then, then the homeowner will go, I did that myself. And here's why. And whenever they say that, you're like, well, that makes complete sense because that is a terrible idea. And that's going to impact your marketing significantly when you go to sell this home. You never tell them that, but um, you certainly want to, right? So don't build your own home unless you're a contractor and you're really skilled and you know what you're doing and you can be objective about what it is you're putting into your home. Because so many people are like, well, since I'm not paying for labor, I can do this. Nah, that's a bad idea. Either way you look at it, that's a terrible idea. Be realistic. Build a home that other people are building in the area. That's the marketplace. That's the only way I can see it happening for people who don't have a budget, Wood said. They may only have 15 to 20 grand, so they're going to have to do it yourself. So things that come to mind there are when you are doing it yourself on your own home, if you're not a licensed electrician, not a licensed plumber, don't really have much HVAC experience. Which way does this furnace go? Is this upside? Is this upside right side up? Upside? Uh, is this the negative or the positive wire hookup? Is this how this goes? 
which one is the hot water? Which one is the cold water return? I don't really know, but I'm going to do it myself because I'm going to save myself some money. Let's hope this works out. Does that sound like a good plan to you? No, me neither. And if you do a do-it-yourself home, a lot of lenders, even on a stick-built home, they're going to want to have a licensed contractor build that home because otherwise they don't trust you, Johnny, do-it-yourself, build-your-own-home. And rightfully so. What kind of builder are you? Well, I got a hammer. I got nails. Kind of like in uh, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High when Sean Penn got in a car wreck, just decimated a car. And his solution was, my dad is a TV repairman. He has tools. We can fix this. Same along the same lines, right? Just a terrible idea, not happening. But people, you know, kind of think, well, I, I can make this work. I've got this budget. I need to, I need to get around this budget increase. How am I going to do that? I'm going to build it myself. Horrible idea. For the people who don't have the time, experience, or land to build on their own, which is most people, uh, and don't have the budget, Wood said they will have to turn to model tiny homes. These homes usually can't be customized and are factory made. All right. So what? Take it. The cool thing is that builders want to build models for efficiency, Wood said. In the future, fully customizable tiny homes might not be the norm anymore and instead might only be an option for people with higher budgets. Sounds like we're getting priced out of tiny homes already, right? For now, Jackson isn't going to build it on her own or opt for a model home. Instead, she is weighing her options and will most likely wait a few more years to save more money as costs go up and her dream becomes less and less of a reality. I threw in that last sentence because unfortunately, that is reality. People wait and save. Pull the trigger on what you got. Go from there. Because in a few more years, it's going to be more expensive, more than likely, right? Costs are not going to go down. They never do. I won't stop wishing for what I want, Jackson said. I mean, I know it will eventually happen for me. It just might take me a little bit longer. All right. So do your thing. Keep working. Keep saving get to that dream. Because um, yeah, the American dream of owning your home, own home, even if it is just a tiny home, it's an important thing. It's part of our culture, right? Everybody wants a home, but the homes have become so expensive that this whole tiny home thing, and I, the cost to me isn't the big factor. For me, it is the lifestyle. I would like to experience that lifestyle because I really, honestly, I, I have an iPad mini, I've got a laptop, um, you know, I got some camera gear. Beyond that, I don't need all the crap in my life that I have. I just don't. You know, you put all this stuff in the storage. If you have a storage unit, I've seen so many people like that. They don't even ever pull the stuff out. They've just stored it. They're paying a few hundred bucks a month and they're storing stuff. Tiny home, don't have that option. You can always build storage, but kind of defeats the purpose. Cut the amount of Cut the amount of stuff down in your life. That's the concept I like from, from tiny homes because less is more. The road less traveled. I always remember my mom reading that book. The road less traveled. Okay, whatever. I never read the book, but you know, we're talking about tiny homes here. So, all right, that's it for me on this one. I am tiny homed out. I'm sure you are too. Um, interesting story. Yeah, things are getting more expensive, right? And your forever home plan don't have one five-year plan. That's what you want to go with. All right. That's it for me. Uh, thanks so much for being part of the, uh, and getting to this point in the Seattle real estate podcast. I will catch up with you guys on the next one until then stay safe. Bye for now. 
forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.